0: Okay, we have reached 11.02, so that's my cue to start here. Uh, Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you may be joining us around the world. Um, We are delighted to be welcoming you to our next edition of the Advisor Industry Leaders Panels um, with uh, the topic of agency and educator perspectives on the future of our student recruitment. Uh, I'm actually, first of all, going to hand you over to the sponsor of our event, um, which is Bupa, um, and I'm going to hand over to Fernando, um, who is going to give you a quick introduction uh, onto the, the, the products and uh, services that we can provide uh, together
1: through advisor. Thank you, Ben. Thank you everyone for joining today. Um, my name is Fernando Rosemena and I work at Bupa uh, Latin America office in, that is located in Miami, Florida. Uh, just to give you a little uh, brief introduction of uh, what you can expect of this new partnership that we're having between Bupa and Advisor. And is to have access to, uh, to an ins- uh, a travel insurance product that is gonna uh, provide an extra, probably a, a premium quality service uh, to, the, to the students that are gonna be traveling this year, uh, wherever they go. So one of the things or the key things that the product has is that it has a worldwide coverage. So whatever the, the student is, is not gonna give coverage only on the country where they're gonna be studying, but if they move somewhere else for tourism or any other reason, they're gonna be covered too. So to tell you a little bit more about Pupa, it's a British company that has been around in the the, uh, insurance industry for over 70 years. And the purpose uh, of the company is actually to give or to help people live longer, healthier and happier lives. So that's our slogan. (laughs) And actually, what we offer is insurance products, and also we are in the healthcare provision market. So we have also some hospitals and and medical centers in, in around the world. Uh, Bupa has a presence around in around 190 countries in the world, with uh, 83,000 employees. And here's one of them. <laughs> and our vision, you know, is to provide um, quality. A worldwide worldwide coverage and service to our clients. That's our main goal. That's what we want to 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 offer to to your students. And uh, our Bupa Travel division is uh is is based in Denmark, in Copenhagen actually. Okay, so we are regulated by the Danish authorities as an insurance company. So we are not a a a travel assistance company, we're a travel insurance company, so that actually converts in on having probably a stronger stronger solvency and and financial leverage that helps to provide this unlimited coverage that the proper travel product has. Perfect.
0: Fernando, thank you very much for joining us and telling us more about that product. Um, for all of our advisor users, uh, you can, of course, contact your account manager advisor to get more information on how to book these policies uh, through, the, through the platform. Um, and thank you very much for joining us, Fernando. Thank you, Ben. Okay, we'll start off quickly by introducing everyone. Um, I am Ben Delaney. I'm the, the host and I'm representing advisor here. I'm also delighted to be joined by Lil um, Bremerman-Richard, who is the Group CEO of Oxford International Education Group. I'm also joined by Tamsin Plaxton, who is the President and Co-Founder of Tamwood. Marcela Amaral, who is the Product Director from IE Intercambio in Brazil. We have Max Ortega, who is the Deputy Director of Mundo Hoven in Mexico. We have Goico Yobet, who is the founder and CXO of GrowPro Experience from Spain. And then we have Nico Dowling, uh, who's joining us, who's the director of Atlas Language School, and um, which has uh, campuses in Ireland and in Malta as well. Um, okay, we're going to crack straight on into the first topic. Um, which is, uh, I'm going to hand over to to Lil to actually um, sort of kick us off on this topic. Um, And this is kind of picking up from discussions in our previous panel, um, which is kind of looking at, what what does a more sustainable business model look like for uh, agents and schools working together, kind of moving forward in the industry? Um, one of the things that was discussed previously was uh, commission rates, uh, also marketing contributions and discounts and how they're the sort of maybe the approach to them is going to differ and change. And um, both from schools and from agencies moving forward. And um, so I'm really interested to, to hear your thoughts on how you think and um, kind of moving in the post pandemic era and um, these change, these, these things will change for everyone. Uh,
2: hello, Ben. Hello, everyone. Uh, first of all, thank you for inviting me to participate today. Um, This is a very interesting topic, actually, and one that we discuss uh, across Oxford International uh, very regularly. Um, I would say I'm inclined um, to consider the evolution of commissions, discounts, and marketing contributions during the pandemic, because we are still within it. (laughs) Uh, We don't really know exactly how long we are going to be in this pandemic and how fast we are going to be coming out of it and the disruptions being in place. So we, we put the focus of our discussion on the relationship with our agents and how do we make sure that our products are priced uh, correctly, are developed correctly so that students can still book and join so that actually our agents have a product that they can sell, uh, students will still pay and uh, generate uh, sufficient income for the agent and for ourselves. Um, so, uh, And I think it's also a quite challenging discussion because uh, the language world is in a different environment of significantly different environment than the higher education part of the um, education sector. So we are doing both. And in higher education, Oxford International has been growing at a very fast pace, which means our agents are very engaged. Uh, they are able to trade um, uh, at high volumes. So the Commission and marketing contributions hasn't changed as much. So we're still paying pretty a similar rate as we were pre, pre-pandemic. Um, and we're still contributing. We are doing different types of marketing activities. In language, on the other hand, uh, the volume of trade has dropped quite significantly. Um, and as a result, um, we are looking at evolving our product range on online and potentially even transitioning our some of our agents that are language uh, focus to more vocational and HE combined products. Um, it's, a, it's about um, keep working together, uh, trading, and and it's not so much about are we paying more commission, less commission. We need our agents to be able to, to trade. Uh, we need to be able to continue to trade and evolve with the mar- the market needs. Um, and and trying to talk so much post pandemic. Um, I mean, do we, does anyone in this room know how long this pandemic is going to last? Because I, I would like to know that answer. <laughs> uh, I am not so sure. Um, so, I mean, I don't know whether any of my colleagues were expecting a different answer. Is suddenly Oxford International going to be paying more commission or more marketing contribution? Um, we, we, we need to make sure that Oxford International is doing well, but also that the other schools are not facing a situation where maybe we are paying so much commission that they cannot sustain themselves, or or, or yeah. not paying sufficient, and agents are struggling.
3: If I yeah. could come in there, um, yeah, of You know, uh, I, I see there's a, a big imbalance, you know, and and I think this goes back to before COVID between schools and agents. You know, the way I see it is that that a lot of the schools have this sort of fear of the power of the agents and they're they basically you know extremely reluctant to say no that the the commission rates are just constantly going up and up marketing contributions are going up and plus schools are, are discounting and I think the industry is really at a crossroads and as I said I think it was at a crossroads even before COVID kicked in and I think it's it's down to the schools you know and i think we need to try to balance the relationships and and become closer with our partners and with our agents so that we can together we can figure out a way out of this because at the moment all i'm seeing is uh you know the industry going one way i mean i was i was told this morning that there's schools in ireland offering 25 week courses for 800 euro you know and it's just it's simply not sustainable it's impossible for Schools to be able to offer a quality experience to the students, you know, if if the cost of, of bringing that student into the school is so high. I mean, you know, we all we all as schools we all have it. We all have this innate sort of fear. I remember, you know, my going back to my the first ICEFs and and study, you know, and Alfie's, and I meet Marcella and I gave Marcella my incredible 20 minutes sales pitch and you know blow her away and then it you know she think it was amazing and then she'd say oh what about commission and I and this is now 10 years ago I'd say oh well we start at 20% and I'd look at myself and she'd go no and and oh no 25 percent but obviously if you send a students to so just this this you know in a sphere as I say of schools, You know, and and I think it's up to schools to be honest with themselves and to be honest with the agents and come together and and figure out a way out of this, because, as I said, I just all I see is this moving in one direction.
4: Can I jump in? I think that's... I think that with the pressure on commissions, and we're seeing that from a lot of different markets where commissions were, I think agencies are trying to increase revenue because they can't increase volume. So there's two levers, you know, volume or price. And because they can't increase volume, they're trying to increase their revenue, their price to the schools with by increasing commissions. So we've seen increasingly more higher and higher demands for commissions. And the risk in that is that you create a gap where new entrants can come into the market as agents. And we've seen a lot of agents let staff go um, over the last year through this pandemic. And a lot of those staff are smart people and they're setting up small agencies from their home because people are able to do it from home now. We're all working from home, a lot of us. And so I I would just caution that there's a risk and pushing that commission so high that you create an opportunity for new agents to enter the market who aren't as experienced but are gonna be able to deliver because their costs of operations are now so low. I, I, actually,
2: Thompson, I, I completely agree with that. And it should be a partnership. It shouldn't be a them and us and trying to sort. It's, that's why for, for, for us, when the discussion comes in is, can we develop products that actually customers will buy with or without a pandemic, that agents are actually falling over each other to sell our products? <laughs> uh, bec- then, then we are actually building that volume that there is less requirement to increase that commission rate too significantly, uh, and and that I think is a trick for the education providers, uh, and and I think that's what will help us keep the agents on our side without putting pressure on that commission rate.
5: Can I jump in also as well, please? I also think that the agents we have other type of issues, for example, discounts. True, uh, schools always receive the the, the net price of, of the course, and lots of agents at work from their home. They don't have big operational costs, like maybe Mundo Joven or, or, or us, and they can they can't discount. And also schools putting the price of the courses each time lower to be more competitive, because I understand this is difficult. We all want to survive. And when your competitor puts a 25 week course for 800 euros, then you have another one that says 750. The same happens with discount. So in, 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 this, in this point, I think that we need to work together agencies and schools and there is not only the issue of high commissions we've got other types of issues like for example for us we lose lots of students because of discounts but the thing is that once you start doing discount this is a never-ending story and you do five you do ten at the 15 and at the end with no agents there wouldn't be schools with no schools we wouldn't exist because if there was no schools and they'll go bankrupt where do we send our students
3: yeah it's because no go go, so- go, go, you're, you're right on the money there i mean the discounts are, are killing the, this industry and you know, we both want quality, uh, you know, experiences for our students. That's, that's the ultimate goal, right? So discounting is no good for anyone. And schools, I, again, I think it's the schools. fault. I, you know, it's not that agents are asking us for discounts. I think schools just feel this, this need. And, it, and we're at such a dangerous point now because what we have is schools with empty classrooms and high costs coming out of this pandemic. And so, mm-hmm. you know, people are just so desperate to get students in but again schools have to be brave they've got to you know be honest with themselves and they've got to speak to their agents and work it out together as lil said
0: I'm. I'm quite. Nico, here, is it? I'm
6: sorry, Ben. No, no. I was uh, just. I was
0: just about to ask you a question, Marcel. So I, okay,
6: I was so just. Please, please, please. At least, I don't think. Yeah, <laughs> I was just. I was just gonna say, Nico. It's been ten years already since our last match.
3: Well, uh, yeah. I, I yeah. getting <laughs> <laughs> younger. I, <laughs> I think I look
6: I'm younger. Sorry. Come on. You look younger. You <laughs> <laughs>
3: looks
0: <loved> younger.
6: Three members. Three members. <laughs> yeah, I was um, I was just going to say that I think that, you know, high commission rates is a problem. Uh, but at the same time, I think that, you know, both the schools and the agencies, they have to work together towards getting into a level where they both feel comfortable working with each other, you know, uh, just like, for example, for us within, you know, IE, we really do not Work by you know if we get a commission of twenty percent because it doesn't make sense to us. Mm-hmm. So I think that the schools and and you know most educators need to really you know um, how do I say that? But actually uh, check and and do some crunching the numbers and see if it makes sense for them to offer a high commission rate, confirming and you know uh, uh, relating to the results they are getting. Uh, okay. I think that both. Commission and marketing contribution need to be linked to results, you know, in terms of sales volume and everything.
2: Yeah, but I think we really, I mean, we really need to rethink um, the whole model because you don't need a thousand students at a hundred pounds each, the experience is sometimes better at 500 students with 200 pounds. I'm just throwing any number. And then 20% of 200 pounds is better than, you know, 30% of a hundred pounds. So it's a whole, you know, really rethink uh, the model, it was it as noble and everything was going down. The discount is increasing, the commission is increasing, nobody's making sufficient money. And now we are in a pandemic where we really need to think about what is sustainable. Uh, because it, there was a demotivation for quality it's always been about who gets the lowest price and the higher commission, but that is not a business. Yeah, we, we don't believe on this kind of business
6: because no one makes money, not, neither you or Nobody us. Nobody makes money and the student
2: yeah. loses. No.
6: Because and it also depends on the size of the organization. I think sometimes, you know, small schools need to, you know, pay you less commission. And, and then it's up to the agency as well to understand if it makes sense to have that product in their portfolio.
5: I think one thing, I think something is very, very important is for example, in our case, when we sell at least English English language courses, I don't go for cheap, cheap options because at the end, I explain the student, you're going to be four days or five days, 20 hours per week going to class, trying to learn. If you pay 40, 50 euros per week, what do you think you're gonna receive? I mean, this is simple economics, no? If you want to have a nice place with good teachers, with good material, at the end, that has a cost. Like when you buy, buy, buy a car and we try, and also when you sell like really, really cheap schools, the student then comes back, hey, the teacher does, doesn't speak even good English or, or things like that. that. That brings really, really bad feedback, but not only for the agent, for all the industry. And if the, 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 and if the price keeps going lower, 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 students will pay what they need to pay to have a good experience. But if we keep lowering it, it's bad for everybody, because at the end, 25% of 100 is less than 25% of 200 that's, that's, that's easy to to see. So I think we need to all push the, the, the quality up and doing huge discounts, it's impossible. That's my point of view, of course.
4: You know, I think that I wish all of our students, though, felt that what they learn in the classroom is the most important thing. I think there's a section of the the market that cares. And then there's these students that just want to travel and they're looking for the cheapest way to justify their trip. You know, and often what's driving them to travel is not as much about the learning as it is the whole experience, the cultural experience, being in a foreign country, maybe getting a job in that foreign country and working. And the learning is part of it. So if they can save some money on the learning, they're driven to do that. And so it's about, uh, you know, selling them on why they should care. And I, I so I agree with you, but I, it's a hard sell, isn't it, to convince a student that they should care. But I don't think they all care, you know. In Australia. Uh, I can just give you an example, In my, my, my dad owned an airline and when I was a kid, it was a small airline, but when I was a kid, I said, why don't you serve better food on the airline, like, why don't we serve better things than just a coffee and a little snack, you know, and he, and he taught me a really strong lesson, he said, no one else is going to buy this flight because there's better food on the plane, it's a, it's the, it's a point A to point B airline, like it's, it's a commuter airline, people don't care about the food. And sometimes I think that's true sometimes about the students. They're not necessarily going to care about the enhancements we make unless we can really communicate it to them in a way that resonates with them. And it has to, you know, it has to trigger some emotional response in them that they see, oh, I actually need this. I need better quality.
5: But I don't think they see Bed courses, uh, courses, sorry.
4: Yeah,
3: sorry, sorry. sorry, sorry, sorry. And I think I think you're right. But we, I think we've moved from selling English courses to selling an experience now. So and I think this is quite an important point. And it's something that, you know, agents and schools can sell together. This idea that it's just, that it is more than coming to learn, to learn English. And I think, of course, there's always going to be students that want to pay, you know, the cheapest price. And that's fine. There are schools out there, you know, that cater for that. But I think, again, it's up to, to us, as the majority of schools and agents to just push quality. And that's the only way Really, we can get out of you know, this spiral, as far as I can see.
6: I totally agree with Nico and Goico at the same time and Tamsin as well. But I do think that, you know, with discounts, yeah, I agree with everyone. Uh, <laughs> discounting, and especially when you have, you know, small agencies discounting further. You know, you have your own discount, and then you have small agencies in within Brazil, it happens quite often. You have small agencies discounting even further. That hurts the market, and I think that's that's a big hurt. Award. Actually,
0: I think I that. Think... Yeah, sorry, ben, sorry. Ben, go ahead. no, Max, after you, please. I was going to try and pass over to you there. So <laughs> okay, thank you very much.
7: Um, just, just going back to your question, Ben. Actually, um, about the the and what Lil was saying about during pandemic or post pandemic, um, and when is this going to end? I think right now there's there's a matter in question which is cash flow, um, is an important name of the game. And it might be the, the name of the game for agents, and I, it might be the name of the game for schools too. Um, it probably is. But I think Marcelo was touching a point, um, which was the communication, which is key between both sides, agent and school, is going to be um, such an important factor in, in, in agreeing on these commissions to be profitable for both sides. And of course, we have to put ourselves in the shoes of our agents, we have to put ourselves in the, the shoes of our schools, and also we have to put ourselves in the shoes of our students, of our clients. And, and once we come together as an, as a, as an industry, thinking as one and, and, and looking towards the benefits of, of our partners, we have to come together and say, okay, now, who's our competition today? What are the students looking for at the moment? And, and how can we improve the quality of what Tanzin was saying of the, of the actual course, what Nico was saying of the experience, and then look for a, a profitable way of, of each part gaining through, um, through the commission rate, et cetera. But at the moment, I think we have to come together and say, right now what we need is cash flow. How can we agree everybody to have a profitable experience, but not fight on, um, on, the, on, the, on the aftermath of before we get the student? First of all, we have to get the student and then we can agree on the, on the commission rates and all that. But I think the most important thing is how do we get the student today?
3: Yes. Yeah, I, I, t- I totally agree, Max. I, I, it'll be very interesting. I think there's a study recently saying that you know, people, across many industries, that people post pandemic are willing to pay more for goods and services. There's a lot, you know, there's savings, and I think that's something we need to remember as well when we're, you know, as we're we're getting into this. And and as you say, Max, working together, trying to figure out how we can both schools and agents can all benefit. Um, and that's really important to keep that in mind, because back to the, you know, the, the discount, the, the sort of, we, I think what we're, we're going to see is a lot of schools are just naturally going to, to discount because that's, because cash flow is the problem and all they want is money in the bank. But if, if schools can step back and agents can step back and say, look, people are still willing to pay the prices, we don't need to discount here, then I think that's going to, that's going to save us.
0: I think these are these are
4: really I interesting. Gonna take, I think it's going to take a lot of courage from some of the big players, right? Because sure. as yeah. a you know, I think uh, as the owner of Tamwood and Tamwood is a big company in the terms of operations, but in terms of individual locations, not that big compared to some of our competitors. And and as much as we try to t- be courageous and and lead with a, a higher, more sustainable price, we get feedback from agents just saying we can't sell you because. X, Y, and Z schools are selling for less. So you got to match them if you want to get any business and that's helpful feedback to us. Um, but, it, you know, so we are, uh, you know we are have forced to follow sometimes and it's challenging to break out of that. And I think, you know, there's a good book by Seth Godin about being in the category one and Purple Cow is I think the name of the book. And, and it's all about how, you, how do you break out of that? And it's, it, you know, it, it really does take innovation in creating something that's different so it can't be compared on price. But until our, you know, our big competitors lead, and you know, I think the big competitors know who they are. But I think they have to take the courageous step of moving up uh, the the price to a point where it's sustainable for all in the market, not just the schools, but the agents who rely on the price for their commission.
5: tamsi you said before about students that don't want quality. You know, Australia happens a lot that students that go to study six months English. At least in our case, we sell middle to high tier when they finish that course, they come to our office and say, I want the cheapest course that I don't have to go to class at all. And they, in some cases, prefer to pay a bit more for a school that you don't have to go to class than even paying less. So, so at that point, the quality of the student or, or that student wanting to study really zero, that student doesn't want to study. And that's the fact, but I, I, I'm going to be honest, we take them and they are the best customers to sell come give me the cheapest but i don't have to go to class we know which ones they are sign here and we get the money so at the end of the day i know that agents we also have some fault there and i am honest with 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 this raising this this issue but at the end who are we if the student wants that particular course just to not, not go to class at all what do we do there no who can help there
4: it's In Canada, though. doesn't you, happen that, that much. It's tough though, isn't it, when you're an educator or you're somebody came into this industry because you you had a vision of transforming lives and, and doing something good. And, you know, this is all I've done for rubbish. most of my life. I don't want it to be just, you know, to serve the bottom. I sell school.
5: rubbish. <laughs> I sell <laughs> rubbish. It, it's true. In some occasions, I sell rubbish and I know that I sell rubbish. And you know the best thing? Those schools have the best feedback because they come asking for rubbish and they get rubbish. When they want to pay for an English school, maybe a little more expensive, they are expecting to have the best things, and expectations are here. When you buy rubbish at a rubbish price, expectations meet really, really easily. It's tough, but it's the truth. And if we're going to speak here clearly, let's talk things how they are, and this is happening in Australia much more than in Canada, I would say.
0: It's really interesting, obviously, hearing all your very frank and honest uh, assessments here as well. And I think that's something that, that uh, I'll be honest, I, I'm delighted to hear those, um, those well, maybe, maybe not exactly what's happening, but it's good to know that people are being this honest and having these discussions, because I think that is the only way to find a way out of the, the the current situation and pushing forward in that direction as well. And I'm going to try and comment on some of the comments we're getting in. We're literally getting hundreds of comments as we go. Um, so apologies if you're sending questions in or commenting as we go and I, and I don't read yours out. And we are seeing them uh, as they come in as well. Um, But I think it's really interesting as well because a lot of the consensus through the comments at the moment uh, has been regarding sort of students that are going to, to, or, or what someone's termed worker students here as well. So they're looking for a way to access potential immigration routes as opposed to serious students studying. Um, and I wonder oh, oh, also, obviously, we will maybe see a slight difference in this and it's a topic we're going to speak about later on when we come to higher education. And that's maybe sort of driving part of that change as well. Is do, do, are serious students really coming into you as agencies and saying, right, if I'm a serious student, I'm looking at higher education in that route um, rather than the English language mm-hmm. route? Or is it the case that, that people are kind of um, all generally looking for an angle in which to try and get to a country to, to either work or to, to, to look at that immigration option?
4: We're seeing it in that. higher education too. We run vocational colleges and we see students that are taking part in our vocational college and their their motivation is to immigrate, right? And education is a pathway to immigration. And so they compare vocational colleges that get them the opportunity to transfer credits into public institutions that then qualify them for what's called the post-grad work permit. And that's, you know, the necessary step to actually getting the work experience to immigrate. So it's a pathway and we're part of that pathway. Um, and so, yeah, there's still price comparison competition, not just for language training, but for vocational training as well for higher ed.
2: But wouldn't you say, Thompson, that in that case, because, I mean, my entire career I've been in 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 higher education, um, languages the last three years, where we do both at Oxford International, Um, when students look at higher education to immigrate, they know they have to attend. They know they have to pay, and often they they are okay to Hello. pay and to attend because that is a route to immigration, and that is fine. I mean, the governments enable it, as a matter of fact. They say, if you do this degree and you do these qualifications, then you can stay in this country, have a work experience, and potentially stay. So I think everybody is fulfilling their outcome. The government is, the student is, everything is fine. I think what Goiko was talking about was... Uh, different because it was paying for a course where the student is not attending and is potentially working and and i'm not entirely sure how they will then stay in that country but um th- that is different
3: yeah well we see it a lot in ireland i mean this has been a huge problem in ireland so in ireland students can come and, and work and study for up to two years now and you know generally what will happen is the student will come and be very you know be really keen and and are happy to pay for a quality school for the first course, but then we'll get into the country and see all these extremely cheap providers. You know, that they're not particularly interested in continuing their studies or that's not their focus. They want to just work, save money. And that's when the problems start, you know, and the cheap providers get cheaper and cheaper. And, you know, it's good It's good to hear you being so honest there. And the, the, the fact is these students are there and, we can either ignore them and say, you know, you know, you uh, as an agent say, look, go somewhere else. I'm not going to give you the product. But I think you know, it's up to, it's also up to us. I'm, I'm speaking specifically in Ireland to, to engage with the government and see what we can do about this because you know it has to come from a government. Level. Yeah, the,
2: the, the British government, I, I don't think we should talk about politics. I think that'll take things no, in no. a different direction. But the, oh, but, the but, British but, government but... did address this in 2011 onwards. And it was a slaughter because the schools that had many students of that kind ended up being closed. And even some universities lost their license to sponsor the students that were just paying for a course and then they were not attending it. Um, I think that cleared the market quite a bit. Um, I think it may return because governments go through cycles. Um, I think all of us need to decide where we want to position ourselves. We hold the price and then the segmentation. There are students looking for quality education uh, and they will pay uh, and agents uh, will support that channel. So, you know, it's, it's truly it's about segmentation and where you wanna sit in that
5: um in the market but what, what, what i think you said before it's true that, that students that are renewing for example a good example in australia it's the one i know i know best if instead of these crappy courses they had to do courses that they have to go to class really go to class and do the assessments and everything students would renew with those courses i mean i am selling rubbish because there is rubbish to sell And of course, I could say, hey, no, I am not selling rubbish. I'm not selling rubbish. But there is a big demand, at least in Australia, and people are buying time. And I am extremely honest with them. With this, you are just buying time. You are not buying education. And it's true that if the government uh, regulated this better, it would be better for, 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 for everybody. And you know the worst thing? In Australia, the schools that better comply with ASQA are the dodgy ones. Because they have so much time. They don't focus on education. They focus in complying with everything the guy with, 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 that comes to check all the stuff. And they're the ones that comply best because they don't spend money in quality teachers. They've got 50 students and only two go to class. And and, and that's, that, that's an, an issue. And, and it's there.
7: I think we're touching on an interesting point. Um... Of what the student is actually looking for at this at this tangent, specifically for language. If we focus on language at the moment, not higher education, um, I'm, I'm I'm reading the floor to be three points of of, of interest for the student. One is education, um, which Samson was saying. One is the experience, which Nicole was saying. And one one is the to emigrate or emigrate, depending on where you see it. Um, if we if we map out um, like a Venn diagram kind of situation. And we have these three circles of the education experience and uh, and to emigrate. If if that if each person is is or student is looking for one of these three and they probably meet at some point. Say for education, if they're only looking for education at this point, you can get English language courses or or, or um, language courses from so many other um, platforms online. Um, watch going to the movies or whatever. So I think you can satisfy that need through online, which was Lily, you were mentioning that earlier. Yes. If it's the experience, then I think we agree and, and also on Goiko's point, we create a school the experience, and we and then the student doesn't really have to need to attend the school for that for that experience. And if there's the emigration, then the student does need to attend the school. So if we if we map out these these three main concerns, what how can we create a certain model to attend these three points? Um, Having the experience with a good education and, and pinpointing those those three things. Maybe what we need is a course that you don't have to attend necessarily and we create something more of the experience, but work more with a mixed online thing um, in that sense. Maybe we're, we're looking into a new kind of product.
0: I, th- I, th- I think it's interesting here because we're, you know, uh, someone's mentioned in the, the panel, the, the comments as well, that whilst we are one industry. Uh, We've got a lot of different products and there's a lot of different segments within the industry and Lil mentioned segmentation earlier as well. Um, I think one of the other key points that that someone's made in the panel as well is is the fact that in a lot of the cases, um, and it may be different depending on, on market and dependent on regulations as well, schools are actually responsible for the students' attendance and for them their compliance with their visa rules um, so non-compliance and kind of, you know, that that can get schools in a lot of serious trouble and it's not just in terms of, you know, serious trouble within someone getting a, a, a sort of their, their hand slapped as, as we would say, um, but this can be serious legal trouble for schools if they're seen to be facilitating this sort of route for people to get into visas um, and I think that's the case in, in, in almost every market just to varying degrees um, and I think that's something that I think we have to also take into consideration from both sides here of the consequences of that happening, because as Goico pointed out in, in one of the first things he said today, if schools don't exist, the agencies don't have anywhere to send their students. Um, and, 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 you know, and, and, and that's something that I think is really important to look at when we're looking at these sorts of issues as well, as well. Uh, you know, we, Tamsin also mentioned, we, we joined this as educators a lot of the time. And to help people, and we want to improve, you know, people's lives, and and for them to get a a, a valuable experience from this. Um, whereas it seems more and more we're sort of crossing over slightly into the well, we're just providing a route for people to get into to, to avoiding a, a difficult visa procedure. Um, and I think that's something that that is quite interesting that's kind of cropped up throughout this discussion as well, in terms of how how, how people are approaching that as well, and certainly from the comments we're getting.
6: any you say that, Ben? Uh... Because at IE we started, I think that from middle of last year, we started shifting our, um, our approach to students. Uh, we don't work with the cheap schools and we, we actually would rather not sell them because it's, it's you know, a lot of trouble for us. Brazilians are picky and they, are, they want the cheap school but they want the high quality uh, program. So we, we actually prefer not to sell them. Uh, And then we started selling education, and and it's easier to show them, you know, why you are paying more for this kind of program, because you are valuing your education. It's not really, you know, a ticket to go abroad and, and, you know, and work. Uh, We have our work programs, (laughs) but when we are selling English or higher education, we, we, we prefer to sell as education, you know, as opposed to the
0: experience. I think that, that, that's a key point and it's actually going to lead on to uh, one of our, our next points because I'd kind of like to, to, to move the discussion on slightly um, here as well with, with, with kind of looking at, well, how is student demand changing at the moment? And um, from from our perspective within Advisor, we obviously see a lot more fire for, for higher ed programs, also for longer term programs from students at the moment as well. Uh, I know and we've previously discussed uh, quite a move to, to hybrid learning and online learning as well. And um, one of the, the issues sometimes with that is a definition of how do we define these programs? Because uh, I don't think there is a sort of standard definition that people are following at the moment as well. Um, but as schools and as agents, how do you see the demand changing and and how are you adapting to that change in demand as well? And um, maybe I'm going to ta- pass on to Tamsin first.
4: Um, yeah, as I, I, for those who are at the last panel, I, I try not to I'll try not to repeat myself, but I'm going to have to. But we um, you know, we the pandemic. I accelerated the change, I think, that was already happening in our industry, and it, and it gave us the opportunity when we were closed down by government, it gave us the opportunity to first try live streaming and students learning from home, and then what we noticed is when the schools were able to open again, a lot of, a lot of students didn't want to come back into campus, and it wasn't out of fear of the, the virus, it was, uh, they're more comfortable learning from home in their pajamas on their couch or, you know, or, they, they, or they're or they just more comfortable, they're, they're less maybe potentially social and they don't want to be in a room with that many people. They participate more openly when they're online. So there was that, first of all, that learning that actually when given the choice, they prefer to do it live online. And then we um, did a lot of research into blending Asynchronous learning, meaning the students are learning on their own time with some assigned readings assigned recorded lectures assigned projects and and group work um, and, and discussion forums and combining that with live in class and live online and we've trialed and piloted that in some of our vocational programs and been very, very diligent about uh, checking in with the students on a weekly basis. We have them uh, log all their time in their activities to test our assumptions about how much time each thing takes. But we've done focus groups and we've done surveys um, and we've sought feedback from the teachers and the response has been overwhelmingly positive. The students really appreciate this blend because it suits everyone. You know, Not everyone wants to speak in front of a room when asked by the teacher, what's your opinion on this? Sometimes it's easier to do that in a discussion forum. And we see that there's the first and fast and the slow and last. And live doesn't often, often give the opportunity for the slow and last, but um, asynchronous discussions do. Um, and, and also students have a life in Canada. They're building a life here. They're, they're making friends, they're getting jobs, they're having activities. And having the asynchronous component allows them to work some of their learning around their own personal timetable. And some people do better in the middle of the night. Other people are morning people. Um, so they have a certain percentage of their day that they can put that wherever they want in the day. And, and so, um, you know, I think uh, as an industry, we've made a lot of assumptions, So this isn't good, students aren't gonna like it, they pay to go to school, they don't wanna be online, but that's not the case when we actually test it. So it's been a very positive experience. So I think that's how we're developing and changing um, some of our programs. I don't see us moving to asynchronous content in our language training, but we might continue to do some online, live online, um but we wouldn't move it asynchronous uh, for language but certainly for vocational training it's extremely well received
3: yeah it's interesting it's really it's difficult to find that balance i mean what we were basically when we closed down we were forced by the government to continue teaching online for the same number of hours so 15 hours minimum a week um, which is just too much for, for students and, and that's been going on now for on and off for a year so, you know, the, but there's de- there, there definitely, as you say, there's definitely pros to it. And so, you know, students like it to a point, but it's just trying to find that the right balance and how to blend it into um, face-to-face learning. But, you know, again, I'll go back to the, what we're selling. And, and to me, it is more, we are moving, you know, away from just selling an English course to an experience. So, you know, if you if that's what you think and that's what you're trying to provide, then you've got to get the students back face to face.
0: And from an agency perspective, maybe Max or Goy or, or Marcella, they kind of when we held our first panel and um, with, with the agencies and we brought up the, the issue of hybrid or online learning. Um, or, or distance learning, uh, there was not a lot of uptake, uh, shall we say, for, for programmes like that as well. Um, following that panel, have you seen any change like from your partners or anything My anyone my,
5: my point of view is quite clear in that. I think that's, from my point of view at least, going to class, you get to meet people, you get to socialise with them. At the end, if you are going to Canada, Australia, and you're from home 70% of the time or 75% of the time, I don't think it's as, as good for the student as going to a place, meeting everybody, and seeing each other. At least as a student, I would prefer, I, I wouldn't like to be in online classes all day with what you said, in my pajamas all day. I prefer to take a shower and at 9 a.m. be at school with other guys, go to the break, have a Coke with them. and I don't know, maybe I am. But that's, that's, you, and wait, so that's
4: you and that's perfectly fine. And there should be an off option for that. And so, you know, that's why we've been surveying our students because we wanted to see and, and not everybody's the same, right? And younger people have a, grown up in a very different world. And this is what they expect. And it's not like they're not being social. They're being social in jobs. They're being social in school activities. They're being social in class because we are blending this with in-class learning. So they are being social in class. They're coming to school for their group projects and working together in their group projects at school. There's lab time in some of our activity mm-hmm. in some of our programs. So there's a lot of social interaction. But you're assuming that socializing can only happen in the classroom, but that's not true. It happens
5: in the whole experience. We think different.
2: And actually, we have seen blended learning being very successful, actually.
7: Yeah, I think I I agree with them. I mean, I I honestly, in a personal um, point of view, I kind of feel bad for those kids um, finishing school at the moment, having their last years of high school and stuff in the pandemic, uh, era and being stuck at, at home, I remember my years of, of high school and university being so much fun and interaction and, and you know, parties, etc. So I do feel bad on that scope, and I agree with you, Goiko, on that point of view. But I also agree with Tamsin in the sense of the world in general is moving online um, in a way faster than we, than we can keep up, um, in not only in this industry, but in most industries. And, and how do we adapt to that? Um, the first step must be hybrid in some sort of fashion, and if I go back to my last point, saying um, if there's a student looking for the experience, then we definitely offer 100% attendance, um, parties, um, Goiko with Gropo does an excellent job in interaction and 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 familiarization and you know going surfing etc. Um, but there's also another point of education. People, the students that are just looking for education, they don't necessarily want um, that experience the way they have to be united in the classroom, etc, because they can go online and, and learn the course. I mean, higher education and master's degree and, and postgrads are growing online tremendously because you don't really have to pay 75,000 euros to be at a top school and, and unless you want the, the stamp, but you can also get a good quality education online. So how do we attend to those needs? Uh, I think the first step would be hybrid, but I wouldn't exclude uh, uh, answering your question, Ben, a solely online education course which i know nico you might disagree because what you're saying is we sell experience but if we go back to the point where we also sell education then i think online is a a good
5: good um because if it's full online max one question if it's fully online at the end the student goes to whatever country because they get a visa with, with that course because if i am doing it online i could perfectly do it in spain or i could do it Anywhere, any, anywhere I want. So at the end, that that person would would buy that course in order to get a visa to go to that country. And like you say, something it's true: have a job, work, and socialize with their friends, and having classes uh, online.
0: I'm I'm just going to jump in very quickly, though. Sorry. Oh, uh, go
5: ahead.
0: Um, but we have had a comment from from Erin Hernandez, who works at a, a lovely school in Utah uh, called Selnik, who who's kind of asked well do agencies sell fully online courses because uh, students can't get a visa for the US if they're if they're coming on a full on a fully online program um, and and Lil, maybe you you can pick up on that topic as well but I think it kind of re- reverts back to what we were just discussing uh, not to, to to go back backwards in the conversation but in terms of what we're selling Because if we're selling an immigration option an online course isn't that option whereas if we're selling an educational experience and it might not be the same educational experience as being in country but it's still selling that that educational experience to students Um, and maybe giving access to students who wouldn't otherwise have that that opportunity sorry
2: I think it's a little bit more complicated than that there there are different rules for different countries and there is a pandemic and there is a post-pandemic situation so In the UK, uh, in the pandemic, the UK government has allowed for students that do a full online program to get a visa, and they can either stay or they can come part way through the program. Um, I think... um, things don't need to be exactly in one way or another. I think the trick is on having the programs online like Tamsin was saying, online and also face-to-face and being able to do a combination of the two. And students are really liking that, the ability to maybe start a course online and then go to the country and continue it face-to-face. So it's a try before you buy in terms of the educational experience, also in terms of reducing the cost the ability of doing part of the program online, still in their home country, and then going to the UK or Canada or what, and just doing a shorter period in that country and getting the full qualification. Um, I don't think we need to, um, I, th- I think that flexibility that online brings is what students are liking.
3: Yeah, I, I agree, Leo. We've just started um, like an onboarding um, online, for, uh, you know, for, for when we do open, that students say six weeks before they arrive can check in once a week, meet the teachers, talk a bit about life in Ireland, how they're going to adapt, what to expect in class, what to expect from life in Ireland or Malta. Um, and, you know, I think absolutely this the, the pandemic has given us this, you know, we've all started thinking about these ideas. And I think if we, if we get it right, and we blend it in the right way. I think there's huge opportunities and great uh, selling points there.
4: I think one of the other opportunities is looking at it from the point of what can we, in terms of content, what can we bring in if we move some of the classes to an online format? So we've been able to now, for example, bring in guest speakers that live all over the world. Now we would never have gotten them to fly to uh, Vancouver or Toronto and come into our campus for an hour talk. But when I ask them or when the director of the program asks them if they can join our program and uh, and they're in like we've had someone just this week from Bogota, Colombia, who's an expert in an area, come and speak to our entrepreneurship program. That's that's an amazing benefit to our students. So, you know, could we, you know, could we have all the students sit in a classroom and look at our on screen? Sure. But they actually they engage better when they do it from their own laptops. Um, They're just seeing the bigger face. They're, you know, they're fully immersed in the conversation. So, yeah.
2: They get even encouraged to participate
4: <laughs> because they're on a screen in their home. Yeah, and in some ways they're more comfortable to ask questions yes. in that environment yeah. than they would be- We have seen I engagement suggestive. increase. Yeah, we do too.
7: Yeah, I think you're doing a great job, Tanzan. I think that's the way that we should be moving and, and in general trying to adapt to what the, the student and the consumer is looking for. Um, and I agree with Goko, I mean, we, we might lose some um some value in what we're offering at the moment but I think we have to adapt quickly to what they're looking for and I'm seeing some discussions no. in the chat
5: sorry go, go. I'm also sorry, finish, finish, sorry.
7: yeah I'm seeing some discussions in the chat um Britta was saying that that's exactly what agents are for which w- what we're trying to to find is is adapt the the students needs and we as agents then have to find the best course for that student needs. Um, and I think while we move forward, we'll have to find how we adapt. If it's a hybrid, if it's online, and definitely if they're looking for a, um, a gap year, Helene is also saying here, they're definitely looking for an experience in in physical in the physical aspect. So I think the combination of all that will, will be where where the industry
5: is heading. Being honest, uh, Tamsin, you know much better than, than us, than the agents, the educational needs of the students. At the end of the run, if the student is happy, For me, that's the best thing, because you're telling me right now, hey, students participate more. I didn't even know that. And you are in touch with the student and you want to excel in education and you're going to do what you have to do. So students are happy. If students are happy, then the agents were always going to be happy. We have to do all the process and give them the non-educational experience. If we do that correctly and you do this correctly, if it's 50% online, 50% uh, in person or what's the model, at the end of the day, you know it much better than us. And if they are happy, the agents, are always going to be happy.
0: That's I'm, a fact. I'm, I'm going to jump in here to segue slightly onto a, a related topic, but just in a slightly different angle. Um, because one of the things that from, from an advisor point of view, we always get asked about and sort of people are always kind of looking for new ways and um, when looking at connecting with their partners and um, and one of the key things that I'm, that I'm getting here as well that i'm sort of taking from this conversation at the moment is obviously the need to make sure that that information the schools have and that feedback they're getting from their students is coming through to you as agencies as well so that you can adapt your sales processes and your sort of um sort of adaptations of how you then sure. then reach that as well and I think that training for agencies um and that's obviously you know we we have a lot of schools and educators on the, on this call at the moment as well and i'd be quite interested to hear maybe maybe from Mar- Mar- Marcella in terms of what what works best for you as a, as a as an agency in terms of for a school then training your staff and getting in touch with your staff and um, obviously you know uh all, all your staff are able to find all of the skills and advisor and um, for for the direct information but that has to be linked with obviously training and communication from your partners to maintain that relationship so what kind of works best for you as, as agencies from a school's perspective of how, how they might approach training or or passing on that information
6: well um, since I think since 2019 we've started using online training within our uh, agencies and at first we were doing this you know like We set up a time and date and then organized for everyone to be in that room, you know, every single counselor and and, and franchisee owner. And what we noticed, you know, especially from last year where everything was online is that it works best when we set up um, one to one meetings or virtual visits as we're started to, to, to call uh, these kind of things when we have like for example Maria from Tamwood to meet with our agency in Paulista you know so they set up a special date and time and then they discuss uh, Tamwood programs for about I don't know maybe half an hour or one hour and uh, it gives them I think that it gives both the school and the agent you know a lot more to work with. Uh, They learn more, they get more uh, selling points, and they get more prepared to, you know, to convert that sale. It's more tiring for the schools because they usually have to train, you know, people a lot more uh, or repeat that training, you know, several times, Uh, but it it works a lot better. Not sure if you all agree with me, Nico and uh, Lil Thompson, but uh, it's a lot of work for the
2: marketing team. You have to do whatever works for your counselors if you ask me.
4: (laughs) I'm sure the results are a little bit better because when there's a group of, say, 50 counselors in your company, I'm sure there's lots and lots of counselors. And if we were to deliver it all to the whole group at once, I think there would be a certain element of checkout on some of the, in some of the participants, right? But when you know, there's only four or five watching you talking, you can sort of make eye contact. Yeah, you know, you there's, actually,
6: there's, a, there's actually one very funny uh, situation. I think that when they are like one-to-one, it's easier for them to make questions, you know, and not be ashamed of the questions they're making. Uh, When they are, you know, in a group of 50, they are usually a little bit, I don't know, ashamed of asking, you know, something stupid. Not that any question is stupid, but,
0: you know. I have to say, from my experience of being a school as well, um, there wasn't very many offices I entered that didn't have an Oxford International poster or that Paul from Atlas had just been to visit uh, very often as well. Um, and Paul's actually mentioned, uh, Paul's actually joined us in the, in the comments as well um, and asked us how the panelists feel about recorded training, like Panda Portal and things like that. Panda Portal, obviously, another online platform, um, which is, is used quite extensively in, in Latin America by agents that train uh, for training and things like that as well. Um, I'm quite interested to hear your views on kind of, you know, do you still prefer that, you know, even though it's digital, but that one-to-one training? Um, or do you think there's, there's room for, dare I say it, synchronous and asynchronous training? Uh, for, for agencies as well as uh, in within the education section.
6: Um, well, I I, I was going to say that I am trying pen a portal uh, myself in order to, to see if that would work within IE. I, I think that there's room for asynchronous and synchronous training. Recorded trainings are a good way of, you know, uh, sharing the information that is um, does not change quite often, uh, but I don't know, I think that live interaction makes a difference when you are, you know, talking to the marketing person of that school with selling points and, and I don't know,
4: Definitely. I'm old- I,
6: old-fashioned, I think.
7: <laughs> I, I agree with Marcela that the, the, the live interaction is, is more helpful and I, I, I think recording has helped us if it's very well um, if the follow-through is very well implemented on our side, so if we have a platform be- be- behind that where we can judge um, if the if the salespeople are uh, watching these videos, how um, if we test them on the videos, etc., um, then the recorded training works. But if not, then the in- live interaction is much more um, much more uh, rich. Sorry about that, bike. Uh, <laughs>
0: That's, that's everyone running to do their live training with um, yeah, people yeah. in there. Um, this is maybe a a good point as well to mention now that uh, Advisor um is in the testing stage of a two-way communication tool through the platform, actually allowing you to connect to your agencies and educators uh, more easily through the Advisor platform. So and I think that's something that we've looked at uh, as a company as well we obviously are the you know uh, the conduit that allows some of these uh these relationships to flourish and um, although we don't you know we're not the we're not the silver bullet uh, it still requires that personal contact and that sort of personal touch, Um, and we are trying to see how we can adapt and and change to that as well. So there will shortly be uh, a communication tool through the platform. Uh, Tamsin uh, is is actually, Tamwood has been one of the schools testing it for us over the past couple of weeks. Um, And we're really excited about that development to try and sort of foster and encourage um, that communication between the the partners through the platform. Um, Okay, we are officially at our hour um, that we had allotted for this. Um, so I'm gonna have just a, a quick run through of the Q&A questions, if, if you guys don't mind holding on for a couple of minutes. Um, but one of the one of the key points here, and this is actually something that I think affects both uh, educators and agents, and, and, and it's come in a couple of different forms, this question as well. Um, and in this case, it's from, from Sergio Guzman, who said regarding adult students, not juniors, are schools trying more and more to get direct bookings? He has the feeling that the answer is yes. Um, now, I think from our panel discussions, in in certainly the, the the schools version and the agent version, there was the discussion that there is the need for for each other and, and to work together and find these as well. But from your perspectives, do you find that you're looking for more direct uh, bookings as, as schools and as agencies? Do you find that is a is a a specific significant competition to your activities in your markets as well? Um, will maybe pass over to to Nico uh, with that question first.
3: Yeah, so it's. Yes, it's a simple answer. We, I mean, it's always something we focused on. I think, you know, it's it's one of these taboo subjects. You're not allowed to really talk about it. I remember there was there was a few Spanish agents, I think, back in the day who used to, who would say, you know, if they saw you using Google Ads, they'd refuse to work with you. Well, you know, the, I, I think that's just ridiculous. I think, you know, we all recognize that there's a market there for direct students. It's just, it's to you know relatively small percentage and agents are going to be part of this industry you know as long as we have the industry there's no doubt about that um but at the same time I think it would be foolish for schools to ignore um direct bookings there's more of a chance now to to reach students online so yeah it's something we've been working on um, and it's been quite successful particularly over the last couple of years
5: for me, if we compete in the same conditions, I mean, same products, same prices, I don't see an issue. The data the agencies don't add a value to the students. So they go through us, we should disappear.
7: Yeah, I agree with Luca. If we're offering the same, uh, under the same conditions, where I agree that it would be unfair would be if the school is offering of a different price or product um, directly than the one that the, the agent sure, is yeah. offering. In that sense of course the agent has the right to, to, to disagree with that that point but I agree with Goico in that sense definitely
6: yeah I think that if schools I mean I understand that schools cannot you know disregard uh, the direct market uh, but I don't think it's fair for them to compete within our market with the same pricing uh, I mean we have you know lots of taxes to pay and and we we offer payment plans for the students. So if schools start offering the same thing, it it's complicated.
2: Ma- Marcella, the reality from my perspective is that us as schools cannot offer the same service you do. So the okay. students that come uh, direct, I mean, Oxford International has always had direct students for adults, but we haven't, um, I cannot say that we have um, prioritized it as a channel at all, but we've always had it. I mean, uh, before I joined, yes, Um, the reality is that the students that come direct need very little support and will not go to an agent. (laughs) They'll find you online, they'll book, they'll attend. And, mm-hmm. uh, and the students that need agents, we cannot support because we do not have the infrastructure, whether it is in Brazil or in Spain, um, nor the number of people that can talk to their parents, their uncle and discuss the visa and the flight and <laughs> all of that. So that's, why, that's why agents are so important. Uh, and I think schools having a presence online um, is very important and helpful to the agent. So yes. the students will see, say, Oxford International Schools online. They'll want to come to us, and but they won't be able to do the booking online because they cannot follow everything. So they'll come to you and say, I want to go to Oxford International. Can you get me no. there? So I think it's actually as important that we have the ability to reach students online. And those that want to
4: book online, they should be able to. I think it's also helpful to help and contribute in the branding, right? I mean, you know, we, if we, we, if we don't put our own presence in the market and we rely hundred percent on the agencies to do that, they're not speaking in our voice necessarily, right? They don't have our brand voice and they're not necessarily putting out the right message. So if we can somehow set a message about our company that supports all of our partners in that region, right? If, if, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats, right? If there's more demand for the, for our school in, in Brazil, then, you know, agencies will reap the benefit uh, and we've paid the expense of, of doing the marketing and doing the branding. In the
0: totally. Perfect well um unfortunately guys we're at a time where we're going to have to wind up the uh, the panel discussion mm-hmm. this morning yeah I know Goiko you've got to run off uh, yes, so I'll just say on. a quick thank you to you as, to, as you to everyone does um, but I'd like to say a you massive thanks to everyone uh, to Lil, Nico, Marcella, uh, Tamzin, Goiko, and Max um, and of course uh, to Bupa our sponsor of the panel today as well Um, I've popped a link for some feedback in the chat in the chat box it would be great if you could uh, complete that if you have a second um, but again, a massive thanks to everyone. Uh, and remember that everyone that's attended the panel um, today and our, all of our panellists, you can find on AdVisor. You can use the agent discovery tool or the student uh, or the school discovery tool uh, and connect and, and, and start those business partnerships as well. Uh, thank you again to all my panellists. And thank I you. hope to catch thank up. You, thank you, soon. guys. Good
4: job, thank you, ben. ben. Thank you,
7: everyone. Thank you. Bye. Thanks,
0: thanks a lot.
4: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
7: Take care.